0: So this is the third in our series to prepare for the Chagim and tonight we're going to be learning about secrets of the shofar. The truth is I have many many different ideas to give over. Uh, Many of them just kind of flow one right into the other and I'm hoping that will make uh, a tapestry from all of these uh, different teachings. So the place I want to start is that this year Rosh Hashanah, the first day of Rosh Hashanah comes out on Shabbos and the second day is on Yom Mishon and as most people know when Rosh Hashanah falls out on Shabbos we don't blow the shofar and there is a halakhic reason for this: that the, even though it's a mitzvah from the Torah to blow the shofar, uh, it's also a mitzvah from the Torah not to carry uh, without an eruv. Carry uh, out? Well, that's really, it's really the rabbanim, but. Nonetheless, the rabbis were so worried that someone would come to carry the shofar from a private domain into a public domain that they made that we don't blow the shofar on Shabbos. So this needs some discussion. Because many many people, their first reaction is, "Oi!" and I look forward to hearing the shofar the whole year and now it comes out on Shabbos and we and we can't hear the shofar, we only hear it the second day so what I would like to try to explain from a spiritual, mystical, Hasidic point of view this is even though it's, it's a natural reaction uh, hopefully when we hear some reasons, it's actually a great chesed when the first day of Rosh Hashanah comes out in shelves. because, as we'll be learning through the course of the evening, Rosh Hashanah is called Yom Adin, one of the names is the Day of Judgment, and along with all of the the joy, the singing anticipation, the coronating of the King, which make Rosh Hashanah really a very uplifting joyous day, it still is Yom Hadin. It still is a day of judgment. And that the other term, it's not in the Torah, is Yamim Hanoraim, the days of awe. And along with this great joy, there is an element of awe slash fear. Fear in a positive sense, in in the most positive sense. So now we have to understand when Rosh Hashanah comes out on Shabbos, so really, actually there's a hint to it in the Torah, is it mentions Blowing the shofar, yeah. So you're
1: just disappear fear in a positive sense. Just a...
0: Fear and the level of awe, respect, understanding that our our lives are being judged. Um, <clears throat> a certain amount of healthy fear for our future. Now, as if we go into Rosh Hashanah like trivially, is that not, trivially? trivially
2: <clears throat>
0: then it's not really the right If we really believe that we're being judged for the whole year and our fate depends on it, one would naturally have some healthy fear.
1: No, I have a, a healthy fear.
0: What? Just putting it out there.
1: Okay. <laughs> I get terrified. Okay. So then. Let me say what the healthy fear is before you go on.
0: So the.
3: Healthy fear is when you stop and you look both ways before you cross the street and you don't just run into traffic. That's
1: healthy.
0: So the healthy yeah. fear on would be um, That's a good mashal. In other words, why do we look both ways? Because if not, we might get hit by a car, and that's pretty heavy. And so fear, it's like
3: you stay in your apartment you and you don't go well out you because kind of you're afraid one.
0: So the healthy fear is just understanding the the seriousness of the day to really believe that there is a judgment happening to believe that our 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 souls and our fate are in Hashem's hands, of course we have to do our part that's what we're dominating all day long and hopefully during the whole month of Elo we're preparing and doing actions and all these kind of things but the fear is not supposed to uh, uh, immobilize us but it's kind of like the, the fear of, of parents is that you don't have to be paranoid of your parents to have a, a healthy fear of them. Fear meaning that you want to do what will make them happy and you don't want to step on their toes and you don't want to insult them. That's like a healthy fear and it goes with any person really, that you, you're, you're afraid of hurting Someone that you love. That's what's called a healthy fear. Does that answer a little bit? Just a little. <laughs> I, I, I
1: don't want to sidetrack. i try, I, I, can, I can tell you what I mean, but I don't want to. Like, I don't even
0: have a I like well, um, you know, let's go on a little bit because we're going to be talking more about it. And if it still doesn't doesn't work, we'll see. We, we are going to talk more about the year right here. So, when Rosh Hashanah comes on in Shabbos, so the, the the bottom line, the bottom line is Shabbos is what's called a hamtaka d'adining, is sweetening the judgment. And in Kabbalat Shabbat, for those who the nusach so between Kabbalat Shabbat and Mairav, Ashkenazim say b'mamad likim. They read different Mishnas. But Nusach Sefar reads a section from the Zohar. The section in the Zohar uh, concentrates on the tremendous oneness and unity that's revealed on Shabbos between the soul and God and between God and the Shekhinah. And then, as it goes on though, it starts talking about that all the judgments And all of the negativity of the week is pushed to the side, gets passed over, gets, uh, that's the right word, it's like really pushed away in order that the sweetness of Shabbos can shine through. And it's actually the power of Shabbos that pushes away. And it says that these energies have no mastery over us, no uh, rulership over us on Shabbos. Because Shabbos is Kulo chesed. It's full of, of loving kindness and unity. And so this is what happens when Rosh Hashanah comes out on Shabbos like I said our our initial reaction is oh we can't hear the shofar but the shofar itself is we'll see half of its meaning is also din and judgment and uh, especially the first day right? especially the first day because the two days of Rosh Hashanah we're told that the first day of Rosh Hashanah is called a hard judgment And the second day is called a soft judgment. So, really, having Rosh Hashanah coming out on Shabbos is actually sweetening the judgment. Because how do we feel? Let's look. Let's look at miniature. You you have a a rough week. Nothing. Nothing. You know, traumatic happened, but you ran and you did and this and that and you're exhausted and this could have turned out better and, and you get to Friday and it's like oh, I can't wait for Shabbos I can't wait for Shabbos and then Shabbos comes and you really do feel that release you really feel oh, Baruch Hashem it's Shabbos and you feel that peace and harmony and you feel all of the All the judgments are pushed to the side. This happens to us quite often. When is Shabbos not so good? When we can't manage to push the judgments to the side. In other words, we're so preoccupied with something that happened in the week, we can't let go. As much as we want to, and we try, but we carry that baggage into into Shabbos. And then we know, we feel the difference. It's like Shabbos is not doing its magic because we carried all of our judgments into Shabbos and and we can't let go of them. So that's why we say Kigavna this section from the Zohar, which is by telling us that this is what happens on Shabbos, it's like hinting to us if you haven't done it yet, do it now. If there's still any judgments you know, or negative energy, just let go. Let Shabbos wash over you like a waterfall. So that's in miniature. But now if you expand it to the whole year, so having Rosh Hashanah coming on in Shabbos, it's actually a very beautiful thing. It's like if, if we uh,
2: All
3: right. All right. So I could bring in something. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because on Shabbos, you know, we're being written in the Book of Life, hopefully. So it says like, God can only write, so to speak, on Shabbos if it's to save a life. Because you can't write on Shabbos. So if God's writing us. He's got to write us into the Book of Life.
0: Right, once uh, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak Berdichev on Rosh Hashanah, he opens up the Aron Hakodesh and he said this. He said, "Rabbanu Sha'oilam, you have to keep your Torah like we have to keep the Torah. And in your Torah, right, it says you can't write on Shabbos unless it's, it's, it's uh, because of So, Rabbanu Shaelam." You have to write all of your children. It's pikuach You have to write your children to the Book of Life. Mm.
1: But that's still writing. What? That's still writing. You're allowed
0: to. Because it's pikuach <laughs> <laughs> Then it becomes a mitzvah to write. A
3: doctor in a hospital writing.
0: It becomes a mitzvah. Yeah. <laughs> Now, so along with this, so there's an idea that's given over that what the shofar usually does for our neshama on Rosh Hashanah, the neshama yatera, the extra level of soul that we get on Shabbos, accomplishes the same thing. So if we think we're like we're missing something when Rosh Hashanah comes out on Shabbos no because we have this it's not only Rosh Hashanah but it's Shabbos also so that extra level of soul is elevating us in what we would have to work very very hard in a sense and, and full of intensity during the shofar to reach the same level to reach the same level. Yeah. Yes. say was the
2: that the
0: sages at the the end of the second period.
2: And there were indications
0: that you had that actually second temple period. Sorry. No, there is. There is a, uh, a, a, a I, I was about to say this, was that it mentions Rosh Hashanah and Shofar a number of times in the Torah. And one of the times it says, Zikaron Tshiruah. Every time it's called Yom trua, a day of Shofar Blast. But one time it says, Yom Zikaron trua." a remembrance. And so the sages said that this is a hint already in the Torah that on Shabbos, and that's what you say, on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, the word zikaron truah is inserted into the prayers. Yeah.
1: So are you saying that um, the, the positive advantages of like, Shabbat, which is the and the general, like the day itself, it's like it serves on Rosh Hashanah to sort of be like an automatic elevator, that is what we would naturally have to do with the chauffeur. Yeah. So, so then our avoda on on Shabbat of Rosh Hashanah becomes, how does it shift? In other words, so it's through the tefillah that we have to be makom, mm-hmm. like whatever but then like so we don't. you're saying we don't have to work as hard, you're basically saying
0: there's an automatic ingredient that's added that allows yeah. you to chill out a little bit more yeah that's and the, the, the Neshama Yutera <laughs> now obviously we still
1: <laughs>
3: we
0: still have to do our part I mean Shabbos can come but like I said if you're still holding on to all kinds of negativity then you have the Neshama Yutera but it's not shining through we still have to really daven and really do our voda, of course. But I'm just saying that it's not that we're. the whole point is that we're not missing anything. We shouldn't look at it. We're missing the shofar today. Instead, we should look at it that the fact that Rosh Hashanah is coming out on Shabbos is giving us all of the koach and all of the uh, spirituality and all of the incentive to be close to Hashem and look deeply into our our lives that we do when we hear the shofar that it, it, it accomplishes the same thing and that's why it's considered in Hasidut it's a it's a sweetening of the judgment it's like it's like dipping Rosh Hashanah in honey <laughs> right it's like Shabbos is the honey It's like the the sweetening.
1: Does that mean that our our fate is still being decided? Yes, absolutely. Shabbat? Absolutely. Absolutely. So how does the fear
0: thing come into Shabbat? Ah, so one one of the ways we can see this is Rosh Hashanah is, is called the birthday of the world and yet we know that it's really talking about the sixth day of creation. But obviously it's talking about creation altogether. So the two connections are, is that Bereshit, the word Bereshit in the beginning, when you switch around the letters, spells Yirah, Shabbat. The awe of Shabbos, or the fear of Shabbos. So here the healthy fear is, that we don't want to break any of the halachas of Shabbos. So, saying this is a healthy for that we have every Shabbos. We're not like paranoid and like, but we have a, a, a healthy respect of the Halakha that we don't want to break any of the any of the, any of the laws. Why? it's because we believe that this is this is how God has commanded us through the wisdom of the Torah and the sages, how to keep Shabbos. And so by breaking Shabbos, we're, we're bringing displeasure to the honor of Shabbos, which then brings displeasure to Hashem. So that's called Yira Shabbat. Shamor v'zachor. Shamor are guarding the the... the the laws of Shabbat, and Zachor are the positive elements of Shabbat. You need both of them. So here in in Bereshit itself, in Rosh Hashanah is celebrating the creation of the world but especially, and this is a a very deep understanding here, because since we say that the first day of Rosh Hashanah is really the sixth day of creation the day in which Adam and Chava are created, and they're and they're placed in Gan Aden. But it's also the day they ate from Eight Sadat Tovarah, and they were expelled. They weren't expelled, but they were told that they would be expelled after Shabbat. They we're told that they were allowed to stay for the first Shabbat. So here we see also a, a very very deep. Ramah is that when Rosh Hashanah comes out in Shabbos so this is kind of like the, Sh- like the Shabbos as if we wouldn't have sinned if we wouldn't have eaten from the of Torah and to try to feel that, that oneness and that unity and the Gan Eden Because remember, a good part of Rosh Hashanah and we're going to see soon when we get closer into the actual secrets of the shofar is that uh, half of the day is just an incredibly joyous day because we're uh, uh, crowning God as king of the universe and we're in the presence of the King. And that's why some of the Pew team are, are so beautiful and, and praising God and exalting God and being one with the angels in celebrating our closeness to God. And these are incredibly joyous Pew team. absolutely just magnificent. So this is the aspect of, had we not eaten from the tree. And then there's the level of judgment, because we did, we did eat from the tree. So this duality, we're going to see, plays itself out throughout all the ideas of the shofar. There's a total paradoxical duality with the meaning of the shofar, the sounds of the shofar, what it's supposed to move in us and that's where we're going to go. But I wanted to start because this is such a common thing that people don't necessarily have the, the, the proper appreciation for when Rosh Hashanah comes out in Shabbat. I know the Lubavitcher Rebbe uh, always made it uh, a, a big deal not just when it came out of Shabbat, but whatever day of the week it came out because Shabbos is like starting the year on your right foot. Starting the year with it, it, in the right way. So whatever day it falls out on is considered a hint for the energy of the whole year. This is a teacher teaching of the Lubavitcher. But especially when it comes out in Shabbos. So he would teach it the whole year now will have this Aspect of Shabbos, because that's how we're starting the year. That's that's when the seed is being planted, and it's being planted in Shabbos. So th- this is such a, this is such a what we will call again sweetening of the judgment to have the whole year start with the energy of Shabbos. Like right, that's like that's like the highest thing. That's the highest thing. And the reason is, is that we have a saying that all, in the Zohar, that all blessing for the upcoming week comes from Shabbos. Now, in other words, just like Shabbos, in one sense, is the end of the week, Yom HaShvi'i. It's the end of the week. But there is an aspect of Shabbos that is also the beginning of the next week. It's not Yom Rishon. But the Zohar says all of the blessing for the coming week comes in Shabbos. So that's week by week. But now look at it for the whole year. That Rosh Hashanah is the day of judgment. But it should be very clear, what is the judgment based on? What we did the previous year. So even though it's a new year, but the judgment isn't happening in a vacuum. It's happening based on the past year. The the mashal that uh, that I give sometimes is someone someone goes to the bank and he asks for a fifteen thousand dollar loan and they're are being very nice to him and everything and um, and what do you need the loan for? I'm going to start a business. Oh, what, what kind of business? Whatever shoe store. Wow, sounds great. We hope you have some, you know, tremendous success. Do you mind if I just take a few minutes looking at your your your, your past records here, right? The Pull, you know, computer pulls it all up and says, Moishala, <laughs> I don't know what it says here that last year you took a $15,000 loan and you didn't pay it back. Oh, well, you know, I I, I, I meant to, like I... Is this bank going to give him another loan? No? So in other words, our judgment for the next year is like Yom HaShvi'i. It's based on, it's like the end of the year. But all of the blessing of the new year is coming from Rosh Hashanah, just like the parable of Shabbos. So it's both an end and a, a beginning. And so when the year begins on Shabbos, that's a tremendous braha. that means all of the blessing for the coming year is not coming just, just from Rosh Hashanah, but from Shabbos. Yeah? If you, not that I plan on this,
1: but if you accidentally, things happen, you did Boreh by accident, you did this by accident, not because you intended to, and it's on Rosh
0: Hashanah. You like, you'll freak out and feel like
1: you ruined your year. So, what do
0: you do? Like, don't freak out. <laughs> right. Don't freak out, and just, <laughs> That's what I needed to know. Thank you.
1: And <laughs> well. No, I'm saying.
0: No, we are told, by the way.
1: That, that yeah, it yeah, Happens no. to people all the time.
0: No, no, but you should. I mean, it, even if it doesn't come out, Rosh Hashanah, except for a few halachas, are the same as Shabbos. There's a few differences, but still. You know, you could do something wrong on Rosh Hashanah and feel the same way. So it's not just because it's on Shabbos. Right, but because. There's a few additional things.
1: Because it's on Shabbos, this chus of Shabbos is what's pulling you through. So if for some reason by accident you didn't manage to do it, you could feel like you blew it. So so what if, if something happens by like somebody drags a ch- whatever, like I no, think it, it happens no, to people.
0: No, no, but at the same time that we believe that God is judging us, we also believe that God is a compassionate judge and that he accepts our tshuva and he knows when in our hearts so if we do something uh, wrong, inadvertently strangely enough I can't think of a better time than on Rosh Hashanah I'm saying that like a little tongue in cheek because a person is like even more motivated to do tshuva on the spot because it's like, oh my gosh, it's Rosh Hashanah, and I just turned on the light in the bathroom by mistake. What was I thinking? Huh? So if it happened on a regular Shabbos, it might be just I, and two minutes later you forget it. But if it happens on Rosh Hashanah, it's like, mm-hmm. like what well, what's happening unconsciously that this happened to me on Rosh Hashanah, and you could do like the greatest tshuva in the world that you wouldn't have done. So like paradoxically, like you know what I'm saying? I'm not advocating this, of course. <laughs> But I'm saying it might be a hidden bracha because, because God is waiting for us to do Cuba. So, so does not
1: mean that you blew the whole year. Ch- God, or something. That you, if yes.
0: you just openly like just deal with it
1: with God. Yes. And it
3: will be even better received. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So the yeah. Rebbe Nachman yeah. comes to me like, im the Taken. If you believe that you can mess up, believe that you can also fix it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so one last idea, and then we're gonna get more into the, into the shofar, is um, we actually learned this last night. It's a, a very deep that uh, Since Rosh Hashanah is happening on the sixth day, and we ate from the eighth of tova. Tovarah. So later, it says, V'yeda Adam et Chava Ishto. And Adam knew his wife Chava. And we're told that "knew" here means uh, intimate relations. So now is the first time that the word Dat is used in the Torah. It's a noun. dot Tovarah, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the first time it's used as a verb it's, and Adam knew Chava his wife. And then when he gives birth to shut when Chava gives birth to shut it says again, <laughs> Adam owed et Chava Ishto. And, and Adam knew again Chava his wife. And then in the whole Tanakh, this, we'll call it formula of, of hinting to marital relations never appears again except for one more time and that's in the Haftarah of Rosh Hashanah in the, in the story of Chana where it says V'yadah Elkanah et Khana Ishto and Elkanah knew Chana his wife
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, we, we, we were learning last night. I'm just saying this quickly because we have, we have so much to learn here. Yeah, but it's, it's a very deep thing. I, I'm just giving you, let's, let's call it the Rashe Prakim, the, the chapter heads, and you're going to have to think about this. There's a lot of deep thoughts here. This is from Ravyetzak. Yeah, yeah, this is from Rav uh, That So, first of all, there's a very, very deep hint here as we already said, that on Rosh Hashanah there's all, the, the energy is about fixing the Eitzadah Toverah because Rosh Hashanah is all about working on our choices. The whole month of Elul we've been looking into our lives, looking at the past, trying to plan for the future and it all has to do with choices practical choices that we're going to make for our lives and so the whole thing of eating the tree of 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 knowledge of good and evil is is all about making choices and the ramifications and the consequences of our choices and so here in the Haftorah, it's hinted to because it's the only other time that it talks about uh, a man knowing his, his wife. And, and this kind of knowing is considered a tikkun for the 8th of that tovara. In other words, marital relations in, between husband and wife in holiness and purity is, is the, in a big way a tikkun for 8th of that tovara, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so this is happening on every Rosh Hashanah. Every, every Rosh Hashanah, but it's connected to the whole thing of Adam and Chav in the sixth day, being the first day of Rosh Hashanah. So, like I said, there's much more to think about it, but uh, like Rav Ginsberg says very, very, very often after his classes, after like a two or three or four hour class, where like you're almost bursting from the the enormity of the information and the the incredible ideas given over and then at the end he'll say and now we should meditate on what we have learned in other words you learn in a class but that's just that's just the beginning then you have to go and, and Go over it and think about it and contemplate it. And that's just a, a general um, idea about uh, how we should learn. It rarely goes in the first time to the depths that it can. Okay, so that's a little bit about not hearing the shofar on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. Okay, now let's get into. Uh, hearing this so far <laughs> on the second day, so did you
1: say that when Shabbos comes out on the first day, that it's like
0: the, it's like the first Shabbos before the day, or it has both sides? I not It's both. It's uh, it's it's in a sense an experience of Shabbos. Had we not eaten from the Eitz Hadar Tovarat. but we did. So that's the other half. As we're going to see, Rosh Hashanah is is a, a paradoxical duality of energies and feelings and what it's supposed to elicit in our souls. And, and we'll get to that right now, so if everyone will take this sheet, okay, and what I'd like to do is, is start in the right-hand column. And let's, let's go around. And if you've never seen this, uh, it appears in the Arch Scroll, uh, both Ashkenazi and Svard, uh, uh, Machzor right before hearing the shofar. And I highly recommend going over these 10 things we're going to learn now. Because it's, it's like I said, this is something you have, you have to really think about and, and contemplate. But let's go around in a circle and um, well, you can start and read the, the first paragraph and then everyone will read one of the numbers and, uh, and we'll understand what we're, what we're doing here.
3: Sounding the shofar, so integral is the shofar to the essence of Rosh Hashanah that the Torah refers to the day not as Rosh Hashanah, but as Yom Tru'ah, a day of shofar blowing, from Numbers 29.1. Rambam writes, although the shofar blowing of Rosh Hashanah is a scriptural decree to be observed whether or not one understands it, there is an illusion in it as if the shofar were saying, awake sleepers from your sleep, arise slumberers from your slumber, scrutinize your deeds, Repent with contrition. Remember your Creator. Peer unto your souls. Improve your ways and your deeds. Hilkos three four. Ravsadya Gaon enumerates ten symbolic allusions in the Mitzvah of Shofar.
0: Okay, so we're going to go around and these ten, um, I, I suggest strongly to go over them a few times so when you actually hear the Shofar, you can remember what it's alluding to. These are are simple, but very important. Mm
2: -hmm.
4: Number 1. Rosh Hashanah marks the anniversary of the day Hashem simultaneously created and became sovereign of the universe. We blow the shofar since it is customary to sound the trumpets at the coronation of a new
2: king.
0: Okay, so I'm just going to uh, uh, short comment at, at the end of each one. So here is the aspect of the shofar being very joyous. We're coronating the king, the king of the universe. And even though we say a hundred times a day, Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, we virtually never think about what that means. I mean, we proclaim God king like a hundred times a day. But we mostly just rattle it off. Rosh Hashanah, we blow the shofar, and it's like we're in the presence of the king.
5: Number two. Just as a king may proclaim a period of amnesty before he punishes wrongdoers, so the shofar bless proclaims, whoever wishes to repent, let him do so now. If not, let him not complain later.
0: Okay, so let's just call this the shofar and the aspect of warning. The sound of the shofar is a warning, like the Ramam said, "Wake up! Don't say you, you. No one warned you. We're making it very clear, loud and clear, that you're forewarned. Take responsibility. Do juba. So here, the sound of the shofar is very different than the number one. It's a sound of warning. Oh, I'm sorry. I
2: no, I'm just also to put my glasses. Oh, okay, okay, <laughs> okay. Okay, can you see?
0: Okay. <laughs> so number three.
1: Oh, I'm really. Excited. That's why you're saying. I'm like right.
3: Some of us can't read the fine print without
2: glasses anymore. <laughs> no, I didn't understand. I'm sorry. i All right. Um, okay,
1: sorry. At Mount Sinai, when the Jews accepted the Torah, the sound of the shofar continually increased and was very great. On Rosh Hashanah, the shofar reminds us to renew that commitment.
0: What is it? Uh, if everyone remembers, in the description of the giving of the Torah, one of the things was the sound of a shofar that became increasingly louder. In other words, it, it wasn't like a human shofar that someone blew for a minute and then, you know, they run out of breath. There was a, a background sound of the shofar that just got louder and louder and it continued. So here the sound of the shofar has a lot happening there. The joy of receiving the Torah, but also remember every word that God said. Our souls left our bodies. It was so powerful and awesome. So the sound of the shofar is, is joyful to be in the presence of God, but full of, of awe and trembling at His presence. So that's pretty clear because
2: that's
1: not a that wasn't a fear in a in a. In a Frame custom. It was more like like you're so blown away. Yeah,
0: Blown away. Literally. That was cute. That was cute. (laughs) Good play on words.
3: Blown away by the chauffeur.
0: Love it. Okay. Number four.
4: The chauffeur reminds us of the admonitions of the prophets when they're called to repentance.
0: Okay, so here again we have warning. The idea of the prophets using the the uh, the image of the shofar as one of, of warning. And here it is fear. Here it is real fear. Not like we've been talking like healthy fear. This is a real fear.
3: Kind of like a fire alarm in the yeah, school building.
0: Yeah, this is like a real fear here. Okay, number five.
4: Shofar reminds us to pray for the rebuilding of the destroyed
1: holy temple, of which the prophet Miriam lamented, I shall not be silent. For the sound of the shofar have you heard, O my soul, the shout of war, destruction upon destruction has been proclaimed.
0: Okay, so here it gets even heavier. The sound of the shofar is not even not just warning; it's it's destruction, it's crying, it's um, sadness at the destruction of the temple. Okay.
1: Yirmiyahu your, your saying that the shofar you have heard was at the time of the destruction of the temple, or the shofar? What what was the connection of Yirmiyahu talking about the shofar in that puzzle?
0: Well, since he was writing at the time of the destruction of the temple. It obviously is is connected. Whether he wrote this before?
1: Was the shofar then sounded when the temple was destroyed. Oh,
0: okay. I hear what you're saying. I can't answer that. I don't know. Well,
3: part it's, a part it's a good question. question. The to the troops, yeah. It's a good question. The function of to gather the
0: troops. It's a good question.
3: to get to get ready for battle. But I was thinking also in terms of what like the the sound of the siren that goes off on Friday afternoon telling people in Yerushalayim that it's time for candle lighting. So that kind of sounds like you prepared in a positive sense. Yeah, well
0: that's... But also, that was,
3: there was a previous one. The one yeah. But this one is like, more like gathering the truth. Like, you know,
0: well, it, it's not clear arms. when he said this. Before or after or...
3: I'm also thinking yeah. of the Peter Paul and Mary song. If I had a hammer, right. if I had a shofar, I'd
0: do it right. in the morning. Danger, right, right,
3: <laughs> right. right. I mean, I, I but I also mean, freedom. Mean, I'm I'm also of of it. about because you'll
0: see that oh, you see awesome. that shofar has to do with freedom also and
5: love between my brothers mm-hmm. and my sisters. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, six.
5: The shofar rings for reminders of
3: Akhida, the giving of the binding of Isaac, Genesis 22.
2: If Abraham sacrificed a ram in lieu of his son. Thus may our
0: remembrances ascend before the world. Okay, so here the connection to Eke Yitzhak we're gonna uh, we're gonna follow up in more depth, so I'm just gonna go on. But here it's it's really a sound of, of release and redemption. Yitzhak is not sacrificed. And this is is like in place of Yitzhak. So there is that, that's why Andrei is saying that it should ascend before him for the good and because we mentioned throughout Elo and Rosh Hashanah that God should remember the merit of Akedit Yitzhak. In Sliho, now it's been mentioned a number of times and Rosh Hashanah will be mentioned many times that the merit of this whole incident called Akedit Yitzhak is a tremendous merit for the Jewish people. So this is a sound of merit, of, of good things. Okay.
1: Seven? Yeah. The sound of the shepherd inspires fear and trembling and hearts of all who hear as the prophet almost asks. Can the shepherd be born in the city and the people not tremble? But it sounds like the same thing as the earlier one with the prophet. Yeah,
0: it's, it's it's again a, a type of fear and and trembling
5: would you put them into different categories at all these different ones like are, are they all
2: aspects of kind of separate things no no
0: when we finish i'm going to propose okay. like two categories basically okay. two okay. categories for this um, number eight
2: the
1: shofar reminds us of the great and awesome judgment day of the future which Safaniya describes as a day of shofar blowing and shouting.
0: Okay, so here, also this is kind of like a mixed bag because the judgment day of the future is also like... I mean, can you imagine all the Rosh Hashanahs of all of history all in one day? In other words, it's it's a combination of judgment for every person throughout all of history, all of creation. So again, we have everything that Rosh Hashanah is like magnified a million times. But the important thing is, is that in, in the words of the Prophet, that judge, the Judgment Day is symbolized by the sound of the Shofar. Sound like an extraneous thing here. It's like that becomes the symbol of what Judgment Day is. Galilee number 9 The shofar makes us yearn for the ingathering of the exiles, of which it is said in Isaiah, And it will be on that day that a great shofar will be blown, and then they shall prostrate themselves to Hashem on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. So this is one of redemption, the sound of the shofar is, is freedom, redemption, Mashiach, everything good everything good we have the last one
3: the shofar recalls the resurrection of the dead which will be accompanied by the sounding of the shofar as it is said in Ishayahu Isaiah all inhabitants of the world and dwellers of the earth you shall hear when a shofar is sounded it's kind of like the alarm clock to get up from that couple thousand years of <laughs> nice. sleeping dead
0: here we have Wake up. in a sense the like, the culmination, resurrection of the dead, and followed by the world to come. Also, this is like it's almost beyond redemption. It's like something we can't even like redemption. We can imagine we were slaves in Egypt and then we were freed, but to really grasp the resurrection of the dead, and this is like oh, this is almost beyond redemption. It's it's, it's so much bigger than that. So the, the two main things I want to point out here is number one is, yes, each one of these is a different idea, but you can fairly easily place them in two categories. One is the category of joy, redemption, freedom, merit, Coronating the king, that's in one category. And the other is danger, warning, um, judgment, uh, crying, destruction.
1: Could you all say that like, the unifying factor, except for the thing with his, all the other ones would be that the chauffeur is like an instrument like, you know, like the ba- you know what the bass guitar does and what the drums do, right? So like the chauffeur is an instrument that's always heralding um, God's greater presence. So at different times in history, that will engender different results. On the, on the simplest level, every year, it, 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 what a, God's presence will bring about the judgment. He's going to look at history that close to creation, that close to you. He's going to looking at you and, and everybody in the world and et cetera. Um, when the time for it, and he's always going to be checking is the time for the redemption, is the time for the Sofia So depending on when it's always held. Is that that actually? I think that's
0: an, actually an excellent way uh, to try to find a unifying because you're right. Each one of these uh, depicts a revelation of God's presence. Whether it's even in the destruction of the temple, or actually that that also words, God is. Is inter, not yeah, uh, intervening in history, in in a very very like clear way. That's when they went into the into the holy holies. The Kruvim were in a love embrace. The very opposite of what you would imagine at the destruction of the temple. And that's why also we're told that Mashiach is born on Tishah Also, the last time you would think that but there is a certain revelation person of course in the creation there's revelation Harsinai there's revelation Tehiyat HaMeitim Day of Judgment you're right, each one of these and in the tshuva process wake up um, be forewarned you have to do tshuva because God, like right now we say God is in the field God's presence is very um, accessible so that's a very very good way of unifying them all but along with that, though, we see, though, that there's two distinct, different um, types of experience of that presence that are resembled in the, in the sounds of the shofar. And so we have to understand this very, very simply, and we'll see it in a second in this other sheet, the takiyah, we begin each set with a takiyah, and we end with a takiyah. Those are the sounds of hope, redemption, joy, freedom. The middle sounds of Shvarim and Trua and Shvarim Trua are the ones of crying, fear, danger, uh, judgment. That is true of all of the sets of the shofar. It's like a tequila sandwich, because each one, each of the heavier sounds are buffeted on both sides by the sound of the tequila But this, in a sense, if, if you go over these, again, so the, the, the natural question, well, what am I supposed to feel here? Is it joy? Is it fear? Is it hope? is it trembling is it um uh, anticipation
5: the one
3: is it uh, danger
0: emotion that you
5: but, is grief
0: well the, the temple specifically yeah.
3: one of the sounds of the, the crying of yeah the crying the nine right. of the trua is sometimes like a, a sobbing
0: kind of a sound yeah that, that you're right that will get to the middle one is there's no doubt that the middle sounds are crying the, the, the Talmud says this explicitly that the shvarim and trua and shvarim trua are different types of cries but takiyah is different takiyah is just one blast and it's a much longer blast and that's of, of strength and joy and commitment and all of that so we have a bit of a, a paradox here in other words, we're, we're in a sense being asked to feel and concentrate and experience two really opposite types of experiences simultaneously, virtually. Virtually, it's not like blowing the shofar takes a real long time, it's, it's not like dragged out, it happens relatively quickly and so it's a, it's a challenge that's why we're learning because the more you learn beforehand the more you can like kind of tap in before it's over already because sometimes it's just until you get yourself uh oriented to the sound and everything it's like half over already so that's why it's so important to to prepare beforehand
1: so is the show a the compass Meaning like the chauffeur is sort of pointing out how to be in alignment with with the higher will. So if we're if we're not in alignment it will be served as a warning and a wake up call and getting us to get us mm-hmm. in. and if we are <coughs> y- yields um hope and redemption and world redemption, personal redemption, merit. Does that make sense?
0: Right. Yes.
1: Because it's fit- based on where you are right. that will it's true.
0: It's true. Depending on where you're holding, in other words, if you are going into Rosh Hashanah, you've done something like, like really wrong. and You know that it was wrong and you you haven't figured out how to fix it yet. So when you hear the shofar in Rosh Hashanah, it's like, right, you might be shaking your boots. Is, isn't there an
3: aspect of this, though, that's not like just you as an individual? It's for the whole Am? Yes. Uh, and worry, all we're the that. prayers are, are, are in Rabbim, or look, we. It's not the I so much. We're not standing alone.
0: Right, exactly, exactly. Let me just finish the second part, and then that's exactly, that's exactly right. So the other thing is let's say, though, let's say someone is getting married a week after Rosh Hashanah. So when they're hearing the shofar blast, Right, most likely they're concentrating. You know, it's like like a whole new world is about to open, and like redemption and freedom and joy. So you're you you're, you're right. Rachel has an excellent point here, though, is that no matter where the individual is standing, where I'm Yisrael standing? I say I'm getting married in three days, and I'm like, but I'm still going to break that that glass under the hoopah. So the same thing, it's like, I might feel like I did tshuva and I'm, I'm, I'm good and everything. In the meantime, you know, a war might break out at any time. Chas <laughs> the So there, there, there definitely, I mean, if you go through this list of ten, most of them have to do with the rabbim. And it's actually the minority that have to do with the individual. These, these are collective historical uh, experiences of the, of the Jewish people. We all stood at Har Sinai. We were all affected by the destruction of the temple. We will all face Judgment Day. These are collective experiences. So now, um, I just want to connect this reality of the two sounds of the shofar to to Yitzchak because this is what we were learning last night we spent the whole evening is that the two Torah readings for Rosh Hashanah are about the birth of Yitzchak the weaning of Yitzchak how Yishmael was sent away because of Yitzchak And then on the second day, a Kedah Yitzchak. So here we have in in the name, Yitzchak means to laugh, joy, yet when we look at the character of Yitzchak, at least on the surface, he appears to be very different than his name. Actually, we learned last night it's, it's not entirely true. But still, of all the Avot, he's the more panimi, the more uh, introverted, the more quiet, meditative uh, one. He doesn't leave ever to Sr. L He only has one wife. Uh, Constantly thinking
2: about his
4: future why? Because he's just his personality is one of deen. So he's constantly thinking about the what's really in the future. So it's a very different personality. Ah.
0: So, as you pointed out, Yitzhak, Aram is always related to Chesed, and Yitzhak to Govura or Din, but Yitzhak means to laugh. That doesn't, we usually don't attribute that to to judgment. So Yitzhak, there is this dual reality also. See, the truth is Yitzhak is laughing maybe more than Avram and Yaakov. But his is a very inner. He's the one who goes out to the field to meditate. So he has a tremendous inner joy. But it's, it's just very him. 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 So he, he, he is Yitzchak. But he, he's also Din. Gvura. Pach. He, right Pacha Yitzchak. He's the one who's bound to the altar. Who says to his father, bind me to the altar. Doesn't say in the Torah that he should be bound to the altar. Yitzchak says, bind me to the altar and so the again we can't go over all of this. But last night we spent the whole evening discussing Akedat Yitzchak. because
3: mm-hmm. then then in the time of redemption, yeah? mm-hmm. that that inner aspect of the meaning of his name will become
2: revealed.
0: Yes, very much. Yeah, mm-hmm. Pnimiutator P-n-i-my-yot. So we're learning about the whole symbolism of when when the angel of God says, don't lay a hand on him. Don't sacrifice him. And then Avram sees a ram caught in the thicket by his horn, by his shofar, and the ram is sacrificed instead of him. So this, I mean, this is the symbol of all of Rosh Hashanah. That's why we blow the shofar in Rosh Hashanah because of this incident. That is, that's the connection. And so Yitzchak represents this laughing and the crying together. And this is pointed out in the Zohar. And it was, for me, one of Reb Shlomo's most important teachings that I picked up on. Because in the Zohar, (coughs) it says that there's laughing on one side of the heart, and crying on the other side of the heart. In other words, the heart is laughing and crying. So Rav Shlomo used to teach that on on the surface, what that means is, like it says in Kohelet, there is a time to laugh. And there's a time to cry. Every heart is, has laughing and crying. What just what's the appropriate thing to do when it's time to laugh? We should laugh, and it's time to cry. We should cry. That's not so easy for everyone. It's not so easy. How many times do we go to a wedding? We don't feel all that joyous, right? done. And how many times do we go to a funeral, and we don't feel that broken either? What
3: so, about when we cry, when we're laughing.
0: When we're laughing, we're crying. Ah, ah. So that's that's kind of uh, when you're when you're when you're crying, you're crying you from mature, from sure. joy. So that's that's a great a great oh. unity. So that's what Reb Shlomo taught. What Reb Shlomo taught was that on the surface there's a time to laugh and a time to cry. But he said there's a deeper level. And the deeper level is my heart is always laughing and crying together simultaneously. And that's the symbol of breaking a glass at the wedding. Now there's at the time of my greatest joy I'm also crying, and my crying, I also have a place for for joy. And truthfully, we really we really saw this in Rebbe Shlomo, even though he was the master of joy, and he brought joy to so many people. But if if you knew him well he was broken all of the time he was broken all of the time and yet he could he could be joyous at the same time the the story that just came to my head was that he was playing a concert and during intermission he got news that his father had passed away and so The organizer of the concert uh, was there and he said, uh, Rav Shlomo, I'll I'll just go out and just tell everyone we we have to end the concert now. And Rav Shlomo said, no, people came from far and wide and there are many people here whose lives might be changed. Don't promise me you won't say anything to anyone. He went back out, he played the second half of the concert, no one knew anything. Got everyone up dancing like he always did. Afterwards people are talking to him and this and when he got back to the hotel, as soon as he walked into the room like he broke down and he cried until morning. So this is such an awesome story. I mean, such a awesome story. And, and Shom used to talk about his father all the time. He basically said, like, everything I know is, is from my father. About how to be in the world is, is from my father. So this is the secret of hearing the shofar. The secret of hearing the shofar is that my heart is laughing and crying at the same time. Because again, if you if 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 you just understand the implications of these ten things and what they represent, it's just it's not too hard to pick up and whoa <laughs> how am I supposed to feel all of this at the same time? Not so simple. So that's why though we have Takia Shvarim, takia, takia, shrua, takia, because there is a difference in the sounds of the shofar. There is a difference. So when we say simultaneous, is because again, the, relatively speaking, the sounds of the shofar are coming pretty fast and furious. But the takia is the joyous sound and everything that goes along with that, and the middle one is crime? Yeah, but, and that, that we're going to get to in a minute. One last thing is uh, also a very, very deep Torah, is that if you, if you go from number one to number ten, you'll see an amazing thing, that the sound of the shofar accompanies all of history. From the creation of the world to the final judgment day and the resurrection of the dead. And major points along the way. Which is an amazing thing. That One symbol, the shofar, appears everywhere. From the beginning to the end. So in a sense... You have all of history like wrapped up in the sound of the shofar. When you hear the shofar, and that's why it's so good to try to remember these things, each time you hear a sound, like sometimes you hear the sound, and like you hear the, the shofar of Har Sinai. And then you hear the sound, and it's the sound of Mashiach coming, and then you hear the sound the king is here. And then you hear the sound like warning. You know, heavy warning, personal and communal. So And it's like all wrapped up in this one sound, which is, is when you think about it, it's quite amazing. And so you have all of time, in a sense, is pierced by the sound of the shofar. And this, this image is an amazing thing because it, 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 it goes very, very well with the Arizal's explanation of the creation of the world. That when God wanted to create the world and as it were, there was no place to put the world because all there was was the infinite light of God. So then God was mitsam contracted, as it were, his infinite light and energy to make place for the world. And then the Zohar says that in this vacuum that was made for the place of the worlds, a single ray of light pierced through the vacuum And from that ray of light, all that would ever be created came into being. So we can have the image that the ray of light piercing through the vacuum is the piercing sound of the shofar. That's why it says it it reminds us of the actual creation of the world. That was the number one here. But there's actually a, a, like a is like a little image that we could actually hold on to of the shofar becoming an image of creation of piercing through the darkness of bringing reality into being No, 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 he did not say the shofar, he said a ray of light called the Kaab I'm suggesting that we can make an image of this and connect the sound of the shofar to this ray of light. Now, you'll see how that's connected to what I want to say next. And for this, we need to look at these papers. Okay? And here, everyone can take these, by the way. So, I'm not going to go into great detail with this, but it's very, very important to understand that the taqiyya, remember we said each set, if you look at the bottom half, these are the exact sets of, of, of blowing the shofar. When we first blow the shofar, this is what we hear. But during Musaf, they come one at a time. Okay, so in other words, the first time we blow up a shofar, we go through all three of these sets. Now it depends if you, if you dab them with Ashkenaz, they're when the rest of them come. But they s- still will come only one at a time. The next time they come one, and then one, and then one. Well, this is Sparred. Ashkenaz is really, is different. Ashkenaz is different. But in sfarad, they come one at a time, but that's not important to what I'm saying here. But I want you to look at these sets and you'll see a very, very interesting thing. That first of all, each set is made up of three subsets, three lines. Is that, is that clear? Each set is, is, like if you follow my finger, if you don't understand, this first subset of 3 has 1, 2, 3 lines. So, meaning each subset is made up of 3 times 3 is 9. OK? You'll we'll see how important this is. Now, if you look at the...
5: Maybe this is 9. No, no.
0: Okay. We're going in this way. Always this We're not going up and down. Okay. We're going this way. Yeah.
5: So,
0: this is 9, it's going
5: across. This, um. Three three three.
0: Yes, yeah, so Now other this is actually coming three, together.
3: 6, 9. 3, 6, 9. 3, 6,
0: nine. Oh, Okay. Yeah? Is that clear to everyone? Okay. Now, if you look at the trua, see the trua? count how many these are minimal remember the true the, the true the tru is staccato sounds but we're told in Halakha there has to be a minimal of how many? 9 have to be a minimal of 9 now when you When you learn the the fine technicalities of how long each note lasts, it's also in nines. Why? Is the takia has to be as long as these three together? Okay, so this has to be nine beats. The takia has to be at least nine beats. When you do the shvaring trua then it has to be twelve beats because you have both shvaring and shor. But the secret of all of these sets is the number nine. It, it, it has to be
2: twelve beats. But the takia with the shvaim throughout, yeah. not one at 18
3: beats. These are longer beats. Oh, da 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 da, da,
0: da, da 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 Oh, whoa, whoa wait, wait, wait. Excuse me, you're correct. Mm-hmm. You're correct.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You're correct because each shvarin has to be three. Because the shvarin have to equal the trua. Mm-hmm. You're right. Mm-hmm. It should be 18 beats.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah? So what? What? So it does have to be Yeah, yeah. yes, yes, one.
0: yes. Just for that one. Just for that one. But the main idea here is the sounds of the shofar are based on nine and their subset is based on three now this is one of the most important understandings of not just the Shofar but Rosh Hashanah itself is the parable that is given is just like Rosh Hashanah is a new year and we even number one of talking about the Shofar it talks about the anniversary of the day that God created the world meaning the birth of the world
5: nine months
0: so Rosh Hashanah has to do with birth Shana uh, Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the year well something's being born in the beginning of the year so the sounds of the shofar in a very symbolic but actually very practical way are what are called the birth pangs of a new year. Just like a woman giving birth is like when she's doing her breathing, there's the you know like the deep breathing, and then there's the more Right? Yeah, the more um, staccato breathing. Yeah.
1: Um, originally the, the woman was supposed to, Chava was supposed to give birth spontaneously. So the fact that it became nine months was really a result of the curse. So but, but that means the number nine, whatever God fixed into creation, why a woman would carry a baby for nine months, Obviously, does have some symbolism, but I have no idea what it is. So, what what is that nine representing? The fact that it represents nine nine months represents birth. Why does even why is birth even nine months in the first place, and not sixteen months or two months or three? what's the number nine? Okay, so it's in the letter tet.
0: Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Go on.
3: That the, the tet is like the profile of a pregnant woman, That it's the, the shape of that oh. of that belly.
0: Right. That's what we're taught. Is the shape of the Tet? Remember, the world is created from letters. The shape of the Tet is 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 a womb. So you're
1: saying the nature of nine would be pregnancy and birth. Yes, saying that's the nature. Right. Yes,
0: that's why on Pesach when we say Achad Mi we get the taisha okay, more than anything else, the number nine relates to birth.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And and it's connected to the form of the of the tet. Mm-hmm. And the number, this I learned from Rob number
3: Numbers also
2: nine.
0: Right, and, and the number of tet, of course, is nine. So this and the
2: number nine also the
0: if you the okay, uh-huh. you could say that. Or how it is, yeah. Yeah, can say that. So actually, the <laughs> a, a phrase that goes with the tet is tov ganiz puma That dot is hidden. Well, no, that's that's actually that's the pay. I, have to, uh, I need the. Um, the Hebrew letters book if you look behind you on the top shelf on the right hand side is the Hebrew letters book yeah good yeah yeah thank you excuse me it's Tuve Ganes Begave so here's the, here's the t- and the expression in the Zohar, that goes with this, is that goodness is hidden within her.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Tuve, and that's why the word Tov begins with a, a Teh, right. is hidden within. Okay? Can you
4: repeat that?
2: You...
0: There's a her at the end. Yeah. ganiz <laughs> Yeah, it's hidden.
5: Like a geniza, a geniza. Or a genuz? Yeah, or a genuz.
0: Goodness is hidden. Right.
5: Okay.
0: So the nature of nine is really to hold something hidden,
1: like a hidden
0: thing. And then to give birth to it. And then to give birth to it. In fact, the next letter is the yud, is the little baby. Being born from the tet. <laughs> <was so>
2: cute. <laughs> the next letter
0: is a yud. And the yud, as it were, is being born from the tet. That sounds funny, but actually, a good friend of mine did a children's book based on the Olive Bet where the letters were like characters and the Vav is the man and the Zion is the woman and it leads from Aleph all the way up but then they get married under the Chupa which is the Chet which is a Vav and a Zion with a roof over it and then she becomes pregnant and then she has a baby but it's based on Kabbalah it's a children's story based Kabbalah and the back of the book um, he gives the, this, like for the adults, like w- what the story means on a higher level. But on the, the rest of the book is, is a children's story. Yeah, but it, it, all the figures in the book are letters. What is it What is it called? Do you remember?
2: Meshama.
0: It's called Neshama. Mm-hmm. By David okay, Sanders. I think you could probably order it if you want to. It's, it's a gorgeous book by David Sanders called Neshama. It's a beautiful book. Okay, so here we have a very deep understanding of the sounds of the shofar, because when a woman is giving birth, you know, unless she's like very like, there is pain here, and yet, like, there's such joy and anticipation. And it's all happening at the same time, all happening at the same time. Now this goes along very, very well with how the Torah is describing how God blew into the nostrils of Adam Nishmat Chayim, the soul of life.
4: Where
0: is it talking about that? In Braishit. In Braishit, when it talks about the creation of man, it says that God blew into his nostrils Nishmat chanim. So this is another image for us, a very strong image, that the idea He blew into our nostrils. So the blowing of the shofar And Rosh Hashanah is, as it were, God is blowing into us a, a life force for another year, a living soul. It's also a very strong image, and this is like the birth of Adam, that's how Adam receives a soul. Now, this goes along with something that you've probably heard, but maybe didn't put them together. But once you hear it, it's so obvious. We're told that on Rosh Hashanah, three women were remembered for children. What do we read on the first day of Rosh Hashanah? The reading begins, The Hashem Pekadit Sara. And Hashem remembered Sarah. And she gave her the Yitzhak. What's the half Torah that we read? Mm-hmm. It says that God remembered Hannah. Mm-hmm. And the other one was Rachel. And we're told that all three of them were remembered to have children on Rosh Hashanah. The
2: thing
5: with Rachel is where?
0: That's... It's an, that's
5: an, we don't read that
0: on Rosh Hashanah. No, we don't read that on Rosh Hashanah. There's nothing implicit in the Torah. It's in the Talmud. The Talmud says that these three women were remembered on Rosh Hashanah. So now that obviously goes along so beautifully with the whole image of the shofar, as along with everything else that we've learned here. Remember, I said we're going to learn a number of different um, images and scenarios, and they, they all they all go together so here we're concentrating on the the, the birth image and its connection with shofar so this is just a beautiful connection but the deepest thing I know this is going to sound very simple but to me it's like close to the most important thing to understand in Rosh Hashanah is that not just the shofar, but the whole experience of Rosh Hashanah, and even the whole month of Elul leading up to it, is that we're giving—we are giving birth to ourselves in a new year. That's what's happening. We are giving birth to ourselves.
2: Where's that parallel from, is that
0: um, I know that it's my idea <laughs> and I know other people must say it I am not sure but everyone says, all the Hasidic Rabbis say hmm. it's just like one a little step further everyone says that the whole idea of Rosh Hashanah is giving birth and giving birth to a a new year but what does it mean to give birth to a new year? Now obviously God is giving birth to a new year without God there would be nothing there would be no creation, there would be no us so that goes without saying but it isn't without saying because we spend a lot of time in Rosh Hashanah praising God for recreating the world again but along with that goes the idea which I'm saying is, is, is just as important is that we, we can't just depend on God to recreate the world you now what is all of the introspection about Elul about? aren't we trying to re- renew ourselves? aren't we trying to give birth to a new us in a new year? that's, what all the, pre- that's the pregnancy Elo is like the pregnancy and Rosh Hashanah is like the prayers are the intensity of the birth, right of the of the uh, of the actual birthing experience, you know, climaxing in, in the sound of the shofar. Like these are now oh, these are the birth. Cry of the baby. Yeah, these are the birth pains. Yeah, the cry of the, cry the baby. Of the mother right. the
3: cry of the baby. But we reinvent ourselves, isn't that the whole concept of mm-hmm. New Year's resolutions? It's like, you know, we've been stuck in some old pattern and we really want to get out and so we make like a netter uh, that we're going to change and we take upon ourselves to do. So that's like recreating ourselves. Or even a Belie
0: Netter? Yeah. Even a Belie Netter? Yeah. Yeah. The actual moment that you hear the from, right? So like,
1: you're just supposed to listen, right? when he talks about, like, let's say, some of the things that you went through, it talks about inspiring you in repentance and stuff like that. So, but at that moment, you can't be thinking of a million things, right? You're supposed to just receive it. Is that is that right?
0: Like- okay. So here, here's another paradox. Okay. Another paradox is that on one hand, uh, if if you don't know anything about the shofar, nothing. <laughs> and you hear the shofar it's like 50-50 what will happen either you'll be awe inspired just from the sound of the shofar and the the intuitive feeling that this is something awesome or because you don't know what you're listening for it will mean absolutely nothing to you I mean that's why An example that I use is, I don't know, I've been using this for years, I don't know how it got in my head, but you go to a museum, and someone who doesn't really go to museums, whatever, he ends up in a museum, and he walks past a Van Gogh. Doesn't know Van Gogh, doesn't know about the Impressionists, doesn't know anything. Nice sunflowers, right? Bright, And he walks up, right? right next to him, a person who is learning art history, walks up and says, oh my gosh, it's Van Gogh's Sunflowers, I can't believe it. He painted this in, in 1887 in the south of France. And he was hanging out with this artist. That was before he cut off his ear. And it never sold. He knows the whole history. And he's looking at it and he stands there for like two hours. Like just, I can't believe. And he keeps on walking up to it. He looks at every stroke in it. This is like a parable of life. So the same thing with the shofar. If, if, if we don't know what it's supposed to represent, what it's supposed to do for us, so we hear it, and like it could be just spontaneously and intuitively, it will move us. But there's also the danger that we'll just listen. I don't know what I'm supposed to feel. You know what? It just happens to a lot of people when they go to the kotel, Especially for the first time. They've heard about the kotel their whole life. And they build it up. And then they get there, and like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to... Aren't I supposed to have a revelation now? And a lot of people have a very disappointing first time at the Kotel Because they're like, they don't know what to do. They don't... And other people, you know, just the opposite. They They have a revelation of a lifetime. So I'm saying this to answer your question. So in one hand, you're right. How can we think about all of these things all at the same time? But one of the ways we can is by learning about it beforehand, and then the images will pop up naturally. It won't be forced. It won't be like, oh, okay, this one must be hard. Sinai. Oh, this one must be about. it's it just if you go over it, it will pop up. But you, you have a very good point. There is a place that we're not supposed to think anything. And we're supposed to just become an open vessel and let the sound of the shofar literally reverberate within our souls and let it waken up what it will waken up. But now if you heard what I just said, I just said two opposite things. Mm -hmm. But this is the whole secret of the shofar that we've been learning about all night. That is the the paradox. That is the paradox. Let me show you the the paradox in another way. But before that, another beautiful thing. If you take the letters of shofar and you switch them around, it spells Shin, the letter Shin, Peru. Peru Uruvu. What does that mean? Be fruitful, be fruitful and multiply the shin is fruitful and this is from Rob Ginsburg. the shin becomes fruitful so again we have the idea of Peru of of, of being fruitful of giving birth so
1: are you supposed to act? Don't well, think about it. It was just like we learned like you learn about it, and then when the moment comes, just like let it do what it does, and that's it. Seriously.
0: No, I'll answer. No, I answered no. both. Well, don't. Yeah.
1: Don't. Don't we
4: hope that within the month of Elul, besides the rest of the year, but especially within the month of ELO, we'll have been working on ourselves enough to a point where, by the time we actually reach rosh and we're actually listening to the show bar, we're like. Hey Hashem, I did everything I could up until now, and you know I worked at it and I tried, and um, I'm ready. I'm signing myself in the book of life, and I, you know, yeah, absolutely, we, we hope that like, absolutely, yeah, we're you know we're ready to, to give birth. Hashem, absolutely, or, you know, we're ready for the next coming year. And
2: we've worked on it.
0: Remember, we read about Har Sinai. It says it reminds us of our Sinai, and reminds us to strengthen our commitment. So now all of these are true, all of these are right, and we can't prescript what we should think or feel at that moment because then we cut off the spontaneity of it. So we have a very, very fine line.
5: You don't want to be in your head. Right. right?
0: So. Yeah, we have a very fine line of, of preparing and being ready and knowing what it means and knowing the significance but at the same time be open enough to allow a whole new thought to come through. But there's no doubt that one of the things is... uh, That was the whole thing of of number... Which one was uh, Harsinite? Whatever one that was... Number three. The idea of the sound of the shofar is definitely one of commitment, of Like, I'm going to double my efforts. Now, in a sense, because remember I said before that the sound of the shofar spans all of history here. So there's a great secret here that, uh, again, from Rob Ginsburg, is that in every moment of time exists all of time. And that theoretically, theoretically, in the, have you ever had an experience that on the clock it was a minute, two minutes, four minutes, five minutes, but it seemed like forever? Mm -hmm. These things do happen, not often, but they do happen. So this is one of the secrets of of these ten things going from the creation to the end of time is a hint to us that when we're hearing the shofar theoretically it's possible to think about all of these things and to think of nothing at all even though it sounds on a logical sense like well that's impossible how can we possibly do that but remember the uh, the shofar is blown over a period of about two hours. Because you First you blow a set and then you blow again in Musaf. And, well, at least in Sfard, in the silent Musaf and then the repetition of the Musaf and then in the final Kaddish. So over a two-hour period you're sounding the shofar over and over again. So there really is time to think about all of this. There's one idea also that goes along with this. We've heard this idea that before a person passes away, their whole life passes in front of them. This concept, and it's been uh, it's been said that people who've gone through near-death experiences actually report that they experience something like that. So another way, well how can it be in, in the one minute that a person's actually leaving this world, that their whole life can flash in front of them? It doesn't make sense on the clock. So we're seeing the same thing here. Over a two hour period, and I'll add another thing, is that when we in musath it gives us exactly what to think about in Malchiot, Shofron, and Zichronot. In all the verses that we're reading, it has all of these ten things and more. There's all of these Pesukim about the Shofar. And then right afterwards they blow the Shofar. So it's not even like, oh, I have to remember, it's just like right in the sitter. Right in front of me. That's when we're dominating. Especially in New South Africa when you when they blow during the silent and you're actually in the middle of the dominating and you know they're supposed to wait hopefully till everyone gets to the same place, more or less. And then they blow <laughs> <laughs> more or less. Anyways. And so like it's just right you just said the sukim of what you're supposed to be thinking about for the shofar. But still, I just want to emphasize that this, there is a very important place of just being an open vessel and just like letting something new come. Okay, I'm supposed to think of this and this and this and this, and, and it awakens this in my soul and it awakens this. It, but then there has to be a place that this in a sense, like let it do its magic.
2: Yes.
0: Let it just, just, Go, go with it, and see what, what it it, it gives birth to. Uh-huh. I
2: have a question.
5: Yeah. Um, I always have a problem with Mr. because I always have company I'm in my house, and I have to go home and make salad because I'm not allowed to make salad the day before, or whatever, you know. Why can't you make salad the day before? Because, because I'm not supposed to make like salad the day before. That's for the next day kind
0: of thing. Oh, you to- mean from the first day to the second no day? Right.
5: And also okay. if I make salad like an error but Hashanah by the second day or the third if whatever it's wrecked. So I always have to leave shul before my up is over and I always like feel funny leaving shul because you're still blowing shofar. Is that like a big problem?
0: So what well, I would I'm not in any and I
5: like to be in shul for shul, yeah. so like
0: I <laughs> I'm in no way, shape or form like telling you what to do. But mm-hmm off the top of my head um, I would say see if it it doesn't bother you then there's nothing to talk about but if you feel like I have to leave shul to make salad I would make, so I would make a different I would mm-hmm. make a different I would make a different menu no, no I'm very serious in other words if, if hearing all of the chauffeurs once a year versus Right. You know, everyone not having to wait an extra five minutes or eating a little bit differently or getting up that extra 15 minutes early and setting the table beforehand or, you know, we have a, we have a half an hour break usually between Chakrit and Musaf. I'm just saying, if, it's, if you feel bad about missing it, you should rearrange your menu that you won't feel bad about it but don't quote me and don't, but it just seems logical I, I but that that would like be as a woman yeah.
5: responsibilities like to my whatever my family or whatever I always feel like a conflict going on and okay, so, I, so I'm, I'm
0: just saying I would me. play I would play with different strategies that would allow you to not to not to fulfill your what you feel your responsibilities are but that you can have both that you can stay for all of most self. And put on a beautiful meal. I'm sure it's possible.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm sure it's possible.
3: Well, second day you don't have to worry about. Can we sure you me me. don't have to worry about it. yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Is,
1: there, is there anything that says like any source that says that this, like like let's say you learn all these things and then you hear the chauffeur and it like it doesn't on a conscious plane really do anything that you're aware of? Is it is there anything that says that it's doing things to you on an unseen? Oh, level? absolutely,
0: absolutely. Because,
1: because I would imagine, like in previous times, you know, when they didn't have um, loudspeakers and electric instruments and stuff like that, so the chauffeur was a very maybe it was a very profound sound. But today, I mean, like we hear explosions when the people are doing demolitions next door, and the chauffeur is kind of quiet in comparison. <laughs> and we're used to like all kinds of musical instruments. And I find myself like, and I'm I'm specifically very into like music and sound and everything. But when it like I don't really know and I, I know all I've like learned some of these things not all of them obviously but I'm saying like when it doesn't do that is it it's okay that it's it's awakening you anyway like you don't have to that's what I really want to know because
0: yeah it's definitely
1: read the mystical yeah,
0: music yeah, book yeah.
3: because it talks about how it, it's moving your molecules just mm-hmm. like all sound waves. It's it's
1: like pushing it's pushing the air on you. It's like people people connect with different people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: anyway. So if you're the it's not that you're spiritually deficient mm-hmm. or something. No, it? no, no. If you're like, um, no, someone, if someone put their all into listening and preparing, and, and sometimes it, it, we do feel that. Sometimes it's such a build up, and then afterwards it's like, did I really get it? Yeah. Like did I did I miss something? But we no we have, uh, it's a very good question. we have a basic trust that if we put the effort into it and everything, that even though maybe we're a little disappointed because we didn't get this like Mount Sinai revelation, but we have to believe that yes, it it moved it moved us. You know you know it's it's like uh, people you know who have a conflict between doubling and Hebrew and English. Mm -hmm. And we are told that Mm -hmm. even if you don't understand the Hebrew, there is something very, very spiritually powerful about reading the prayers in Hebrew. So I'm not not saying you should or you shouldn't. It's very important that you need to... Yeah, because you have to understand what you're reading. But I'm just using it as an example, because you could say, oh, I read the Hebrew. I didn't understand anything. It it probably didn't do anything, but we're told no. Just reading in Hebrew has an effect on on your neshama that maybe you don't pick up. Maybe you don't you know like again it's not lights are going yeah, off. Yeah.
5: So then, is it more important to do the whole thing? Because sometimes Different. I feel like if I do the whole thing in Hebrew, the whole, all this stuff in Hebrew, and there's like whole sections I just don't understand. No, I would. So when I get to a place where you don't understand it, I switch over into yeah, the English. Yeah, they're different.
0: They're different opinions, everything. But
5: and can you do uh, English and Hebrew in the same
2: prayer? Also, yes, like,
0: yeah. Can you do Latin? I, I mean, it, not if you're a shtibor, but um, <laughs> no, it's not mukubal. But you can say any of the prayers in Hebrew in, in English, any language, any language. And then there's one last thing that's important, and then we're, we're going to do our, our dulcimer meditation and try to put this all together, is that along with everything that we said, and believe me, there's so much that we did not say. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> there's so much we didn't get into. have to wait till next year. But it is, if you remember last week, I said very strongly, that it's very, very important on Rosh Hashanah, whether it's in Shul, in the midst, of the prayers, or if it's outside of Shul, that we daven to Hashem just from our hearts. And we take that five or ten minutes. Like I said, it could be in Shul, it could be in the middle of a prayer, that's fine. Or it could be, you, you know, you walk under a tree, or you sit down in the shade, and you just open up your heart to Hashem. That's what we said last week. But this, so it's the same thing with the shofar. When we're hearing the shofar, at least one or two or three of the blasts, we should just cry out from the depths of our being. So remember, the middle sounds are all crying. They're all crying sounds. That's not like this. That's not like the 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 um. The hint, the, the shot, the simple understanding that these are crying sounds. And so we need, we need to cry out. We need to cry out for ourselves, for our loved ones, for uh, El, for the world. We really need to... And during the tekiahs, we also, I mean, Jure, you said, you said it very well, that when you hear the tikhiyas, there has to be this. Yes, it's, I, I, I'm really going to do it this year. I am going to change. I am going to be better. I or am going to accomplish what? Or
2: I worked
0: on it. Or yeah, I did it. So. I, yeah, or, or Hashem, I, did <laughs> I worked on it. Help me. Accept. Give me, give me strength to do your will. Give me strength to be a good person. Give me strength to accomplish this goal that I've set. So in the shofar blowing also, it's very important to put our own prayer. Very important. You know the famous story of Levi Yitzhak of Adichov that every year he would interview the shofar blowers. And uh, every year it was the greatest privilege to blow the shofar in the the shul of Levi Yitzhak of Adichov. And after they would blow, then he would ask them, What are your uh, kavanot? What, what, what are you going to be thinking about when you blow the shofar? So, this one year, everyone comes, and one after the other, they've all studied the secrets of the Ari, the Arizel, the Kabbalistic intentions of blowing shofar. And finally, the last person comes and it's Moshele, the water carrier, and he blows the shofar, and the truth is it's, wow, it's as beautiful as any of theirs. So he says to him, and, and Moshele, what are you going to be thinking about? And Moshele was very, very embarrassed. He didn't want to say. He said, Rabbi Rabbi Zin said, but I, I could only let someone blow the shofar if I know what they're going to be thinking about. So I said, Rabbi, I'll, I'll be very honest with you. I'm very poor, I worked very hard, but I'm very poor. And I have seven daughters. And I have no idea how I'm going to be able to marry them off. And I think about this day and night, and when I blow the shofar, I'm begging God, and I brought seven beautiful daughters into the world. Hashem, please help me to marry them off the kavan So Rabbi Levi Yitzhak, of course, picks him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He's the shofar, Lord. Because he felt this is someone whose mom was flowing from the bottom of their heart. He's like, he's like crying from his utmost depths for Hashem to help him. So what better way for the the sound of the shofar to come out. So we have a lot of images here. A lot of images. Images of of giving birth to ourselves. Of learning to laugh and cry at the same time. Of learning to incorporate all of time into every moment. Especially when we hear the shofar. How to prepare and then be totally open and spontaneous at the same time. How to be laughing when we're crying and crying when we're laughing. I didn't mention before, the Slonoma Rebbe says, it's not that we don't blow the shofar on Shabbos. He says we do blow the shofar, but it's coming from within a person. We just don't have the physical shofar, and we don't hear the physical sound. But our prayers and and the the joy and the brokenness in our hearts—that is the sound of the shofar when it comes out in shabbos. And we learn how Shabbos is a a sweetening of the the judgment of Rosh Hashanah. And how our extra level of soul, our Neshama Yatera, can take us to the same place that uh, all the sounds of the shofar can. Okay, so here those are the images. Everyone concentrate on and that which will will work for them. tova. next week
3: will be next
0: year will be next year and we do have a class will be the last in our series and next week we are going to try to understand the flow from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur Yom Kippur to Sukkot. Sukkot to Hoshana Rabbah. Hoshana Rabbah to Torah. we are going to try to do the whole so everyone should have a Shana Tova, a year of, of goodness, of good health, mm-hmm. Parnasa. Mm-hmm. everyone who needs to find their Benar Batzug mm-hmm. should find it this year, everyone who needs to have children should have children, mm-hmm. grandchildren, mm-hmm. everyone who needs a Rafur Shlema should have a Rafa mm-hmm. there should be peace in Israel, peace in the world,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and the geulah Shalema